Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. All right. I'm going to take a sip of coffee and then we're going to get right into this. I just wanted to say a special thank you for the celebration uh, for me and Louise and her family. Thank you for the celebration last week that was very special to us. Uh, appreciate all the, the prayer and support and love that you guys have shown. I'm going to get choked up, so I've got to move on. Thank you. We're just, I, I keep saying it to many of you, we're just saying yes like all of you. We're all in this together, amen? Yeah, one body, one Lord. I love that. Okay, now, um, moving in here, I'm going to do a quick recap because we, we missed a week. We had two parts. We started understanding your enemy. So the, the first one that we did was understanding your enemy, and, and we looked at who the enemy is not. Enemy is not who? People. Yeah, sorry, I like, to, I like to get the engagement there. It makes me feel like you guys are with me. Uh, and it also helps the ones that are a little bit tired from staying up too late to not fall asleep. I'm looking at you. <laughs> I'm just kidding, but I'm not. Anyways, number two, enemy is who? Satan. He is our enemy. He's real. He's not uh, an imaginary figure. Uh, he's not figurative. He's literal. He's real. Jesus believed he was real. Jesus says he's real. We see him working throughout scripture. He's real, and we better be aware that he's working and trying to work against us. That's the outside, and then we had an enemy on the inside, and that is our own uh, brokenness, our flesh. And so that, that was uh, part one. We won't spend a lot of time there other than to say the enemy is trying to look for ways to tempt us. Temptation in and of itself is not sin. I'm doing a very fast recap, and then we'll slow down for the message. Temptation in and of itself is not, is not sin. James says, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So there's a brokenness in us that desires to do wrong. That's why we're tempted. So the enemy can tempt us externally, but we're drawn to it because of something inside internal. These distorted uh, desires. And when we give in to sin, that opens up the hole in the window there, the hole in the screen, and then the enemy kind of moves in like that fly, and he can begin infecting us in other areas of the house. If this is brand new to you, I recommend you go and watch part one, and it'll fill you in on what this diagram means. For the rest, it's just review to get the pictures going again. Okay? So relationships, that'd be like a relational hurt. You know, he gets in through that hurt. You hold on to offense. We've been talking about that. And uh, then he moves in to get uh, lust and pornography. Okay. Moving on from there. Oh, I should say one thing before I go there. Um, <clears throat> quick poll. How many of you say offense? Because that's how I've been saying it. Oh, very few. Okay. How many of you say offense? Turn it. All right. So <laughs> I got mercilessly harassed by my kids uh, two, week <laughs> two weekends ago because I keep saying offense. Uh, and I'm like, well, I'm Mennonite. We say offense. <laughs> That's how it goes. <laughs> Anyways, so then I brought it to my leadership team. It was split down the middle. And so we decided Google could, could uh, break the tie. And sure enough, it's offense. So if you're breaking up the word, it's not o and then fence. It's off ends. Whatever. Anyways, now we know. So I'll try to get it. If I'm, if I'm going back and forth, just track with me. I'm trying to correct myself now and be accurate. <clears throat> Give me, uh, give me some grace. <laughs> Don't get offended. No, offended. There we go. All right. Back to, uh, back to here. So this is part two now. 
Part two, we talked about the soil. So uh, often when we talk about soil and seed, we're talking about Jesus' uh, example. Remember, he gives the different kind of soils in the heart and the rocky path and the, and the fertile soil and then what he can grow in there, right? The types of fruit. And what we talked about two weeks ago was the idea that the enemy also looks for a certain type of soil to plant seeds in. And the seeds he uses, contrary to what Jesus uses, which is truth, is lies and deception. And so we have soil. His preferred soil is hurts and wounds. He likes to, like a lion, look for the, the vulnerable and the weak. That's what he does. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So the seeds are the enemy's lies. We hold on to those. That's anger and hurt. That equals fruit, which is uh, offense. Bitterness and resentment equals a stronghold. And now we are trapped. That's part two. And now we're going to go forward uh, into part three. So I just wanted to say, like, you know, we mentioned this idea of being unoffendable. And I want to be clear on what we're striving towards. And I don't know how much we'll get through. I'm hoping we get, get through everything today. And if not, we have more times coming up. And we'll just make part four and all that kind of stuff. But what do I mean by unoffendable? And I want to be really clear on something. I'm not talking about being strong. I'm not talking about being hard. Being callous. Because I think sometimes, you know, if, if, if we try to be unoffendable, humanly speaking, we're just going to shut ourselves off on the inside. So when we talk about being unoffendable, we're not talking about being shut off emotionally, closed to people, so no one can hurt me. There's probably, probably all of us in here do that to some degree already. That's not the kind of unoffendable we're looking for. We're looking at the kind of unoffendable that results in radical love. Where our hearts stay soft but our, our skin is thick. We have thick skin, but a soft heart. That's what we're talking about. So this kind of heart isn't born out of a desire to protect ourselves from being hurt. It's not. It's not that. This kind of heart is born out of someone who's been captivated by the love of Jesus themselves. You know, we get that example of, of, of those who, who have been forgiven much, love much. Those who've been forgiven little, love little. You know, the heart that we're looking for is the one who recognizes just how much grace we've been given and how freely it was given. That recognizes how amazing God is and how incredible his love is. And because of that, we just have this strong desire to go out and show the world what he is like. And we see that he is like, he gives grace. He died for people's sins. He did that. He turned the other cheek. So then we go out with that same heart and we say, then I'll turn the other cheek. Like he did for me. That's what we're talking about. But it's, it's still a heart that hurts. Being unoffendable is not a heart that doesn't hurt. If you're not hurting when someone, when someone says something that, that is hurtful, that means you're shut off. You're self-protecting. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about feeling the hurt and yet responding with compassion. That requires the Holy Spirit. You cannot work that up in yourself. And that is why love is the defining characteristic of a follower of Jesus. And not just loving those who love you. If you're like, oh yeah, I love my friends. When we get around, sit around the bonfire, we have a great time together. <laughs> Jesus had a response to that in Matthew 5. He said, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? If you greet only your brothers... How, what more are you doing than, than others? Even the tax collectors and Gentiles do that. But he says, he love and pray for your enemies. It's at a different level. That's what we're talking about. So, back on to the message. 
that was part of it, but I'll get back to that at the end of the message too. <laughs> Jesus was clear in his command to forgive. He expected forgiveness to flow from his disciples regardless of the hurt that they had experienced. Now, let's make it real here a little bit. Have you ever been overlooked? Like, we're all in group messages now, right? I don't know, maybe you're not, but many of us are in these, like, you know, WhatsApp or Signal messages or you're on an email thread, and, you know, we try to appreciate and honor one another. This happens lots in, our, in the circles that I'm in. But what if you all of a sudden, like, get missed out? Like, what if, you know, what if I go and list off all the volunteers that, that I saw helping up at the food and clothing drive, but I forget to see, I didn't see you or I missed your name? I'm not saying this is actually happening. I'm just saying, I'm, I'm trying to help us relate to what it feels like to be hurt, overlooked. Have you ever been overlooked? Have you ever offered to help and been declined rudely? Maybe even in church. You wanted to be in someone's group and they, wouldn't, they didn't want you. They were full, they had reasons, but it was just a personal slight. You ever had someone make up a story about you? Maybe you're in school. Maybe you were in school. <laughs> Maybe you're currently in school and someone's doing that to you. They're making up stories about you. They talk about you behind your back. They're gossiping. And you feel it. Like, you know that feeling sometimes when you feel like everyone's watching you and thinking negative thoughts about you? What if the same person treats you badly again and again and again? What if it's your spouse? What if it's your parents? What if it's your kids? We'll hit the family unit. Doesn't matter what angle you use, they're always coming back. We hurt and we hurt people. Mocked, ridiculed, falsely accused. Maybe you're trapped in a sinner's struggle and the person that you are so offended by as yourself. Like you just can't get it right. Like how hard is it to stop blank? Right, or maybe you're supposed to start something over here, right, and you just can't start. Everyone else can do it. You're the only one that can't. So you feel that resentment towards yourself. Maybe God didn't answer an important prayer. I mean, all prayer is important, but you know, some that was really near to your heart. You cried out to him in your moment of need and you feel like he didn't answer it or he didn't answer it the way you thought he should. Rejection, abandonment, dumped by a friend or, or a girlfriend or boyfriend, passed on a job, ditched for someone else, abused, broken, or persecuted for your faith. You may be tempted to think that forgiveness, commanding forgiveness, is unfair. The disciples thought it was unfair. They didn't even just think it was unfair. They thought it was impossible. They thought Jesus was too radical in his, in his instruction to forgive always. I mean, that's not practical. Who can do that? I mean, you're not a doormat. You don't just keep taking seven times 70. Like, who says that? You just forgive every time? Clearly, they're proving that they cannot be trusted if they keep reoffending. So let's look at forgiveness as a compassionate command. Do you ever think of it that way? When you think of forgiveness, this is actually a compassionate command? Because I don't think the disciples saw it as a compassionate command, not in the story that we're about to look at. So we'll start here. 
in Luke, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Clear command from Jesus. Now wait, can you imagine that? Like actually put meat to that. So I come to you and I call you a jerk. Okay, that's maybe not that bad. I just, I want to be careful what I say up here. But imagine I come to you and I slander you. Or I start talking behind your back and making up stories about you and ruin your reputation. That'd be terrible, wouldn't it? So I come and I, I apologize to you. I'm repentant. I'm so sorry. I, I cannot believe I did that. That was wrong. And then I leave. And that same day, you get a phone call. Hey, I just talked to Stefan and he was saying such and such. And you're like, what? Imagine that repeating over and over and over again. At some point, you'd say, you're not sincere, I'm not forgiving. Wouldn't you? I would. At least I'd want to. Look at, the, look at the apostles' response to this. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith, exclamation point. <laughs> right? You want us to forgive like that? Then you're going to have to give us supernatural faith because there is nobody that forgives that way. No one. That's impossible, Jesus. Like, you say a lot of radical things, but sometimes you talk about the rich not entering heaven, and you talk about forgiveness, and sometimes you go a little too far, and you put a standard that's so high no one can reach it. Increase our faith. And the Lord says, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, teeny, weeny, weeny faith, then you could say to the mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Disciples thought it was impossible, and they cried out for more faith. What is Jesus' response to this? By the way, and if you go and look, Pastor Ray taught on this a number of years ago. I don't know if you remember it, but... It was a wonderful example. And remember how he used the challenges sometimes to read the Bible and cut out some of the titles? Read it as it was written. And it's amazing sometimes how some of these stories come alive and you get the context for, I wonder what they were talking about. And it actually says it right before. Anyways, look at Jesus' response. Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come from the field, come at once and recline at the table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink? And afterwards, you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he, he did what was commanded? You know, if you read this, you know, with all the breaks in there, sometimes you'll look at this story and wonder, what was Jesus talking to them about? You got to read it as one and you can see clearly what he's talking to them about. He's bringing them on a journey. And then look what he says, how he ends it. So you also, when you have done what you were commanded, say we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. He says small faith is required. Obedience is the key. Jesus uses, he was the originator, I bet, of the Nike slogan, just do it. I bet you that's where they got it from. But he's saying just do it. Just get out of the boat, guys. Just forgive. They thought it was impossible. He said obedience is the key. But when you look at what Scripture teaches about obedience, if you love me, you will obey my commands. When you step out in faith, in obedience, God's power is able to freely flow through you and you're able to do things that would otherwise be impossible. But you have to obey first. I think what they were trying to say is change. Isn't this what we think with, with forgiveness? I mean, if the person, if I know it's, like if restitution has happened and I feel all the processing of the pain, like... As is done, right? So I feel better. And I have a desire now flowing, like, Lord, if you, now I have this strong desire to forgive them because I'm just flowing with compassion. Now I will forgive, right? So Lord, do all that in me and in the situation and make them pay. Maybe, maybe we make them pay seven times, 70 times. 
That'd be better than forgiving seven times 70, wouldn't it? Isn't that sometimes how we feel? Even if we don't want to admit it? And if he does all that, and we see that they're suffering too, and they're truly repentant, like broken and groveling, then, yeah, Jesus, like you said, I forgive them. And he says, you need a little, tiny little bit of faith. What you need is obedience. Step out of the boat. Now you're thinking, we, you started this off by trying to get us to relate to what hurt feels like. And maybe I said some things in there that triggered past wounds that you've gone through. Maybe you're sitting here and you've, you've suffered abuse. And you're trapped there and you wish you could get out. And you think that what I'm saying here and what Jesus is saying lacks compassion entirely. Just do it. Like telling an alcoholic, just don't drink. Thanks for telling me that. I've been trapped here for 30 years. You can see the tension we sometimes find in the Word of God, amen? There's tension, and I'm not, I'm not trying to belittle your pain. I'm not. I'm trying to argue what Jesus was arguing, and that is that, that the pain that you're in, that forgiveness is the key. That's why he's so, he's so strongly urging you to step out of the boat and forgive, because it's, this is the path to healing. This is how you free yourself. So where does the compassion come in, right? Do you ever feel like Jesus' response here to them? I mean, Jesus, you know everything. You know what people have suffered. You're lacking compassion in your response. I don't think he was lacking compassion. I think Jesus, being all-knowing, sovereign God, understood the devastating effects of bitterness and offense and, and resentment in a way that we are just starting to understand now. Let's take a look at this. We're going to look at, I think, six. Actually, I don't know how many points. We're going to look at a bunch of points. I, I will just say, so for the sake of time in the message, I know some of you take notes, which is awesome. I love it. I take notes too. I have a lot of slides. They're about to start rapid firing, okay? Because I have lists. You don't have to, I'll tell you which ones you need to remember. The rest, go online. Our web version of the notes carries all the lists. Also links to the research. I, I looked up this week. I just started researching uh, what are the effects of bitterness? Like what has science kind of come up with? And I was surprised, especially what's come out in the last seven years. So I have a lot of those links on there, but I'll, I'll cover some of it with you here. First one, though, we covered this two weeks ago. If we won't forgive, the Lord, will, the Lord won't forgive us. And lead us not into temptation. This is part of the Lord's prayer. And deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is not a single verse, but this is repeated in parables, this is repeated throughout the Gospels in, in the New Testament. You'll read this. Jesus is quite clear. It is a command, and we must obey him on this. The Lord takes it very seriously. Okay, so let's move on to the next one. It imprisons us in the past and keeps us from healing. What I'm trying to demonstrate here is what Jesus, like when, when we look at that first command, man, he's, Jesus, you're missing compassion. Don't you realize what I'm going through? And what I want to demonstrate with this list is what Jesus sees about the dangers, the, the bitter root that grows up and how it's hurting you, and why he was so strong. Son, child, I know. Daughter, I know what you've been through is difficult. I've been there too. He has. He's suffered. But he also knows the pathway to freedom. 
how to be healed. There's a quote that's been attributed to many. I, I couldn't figure out who. Uh, but anyhow, it says, resentment, here I put it on there. Resentment is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. That is essentially, like literally what we're doing, spiritually, physically, and emotionally. We drink poison. First we get hurt by someone else, but as soon as we choose to hold on to that hurt and it grows into resentment or bitterness or being offended, then we are drinking poison and waiting for them to die. And the worst part is, in many cases, they don't even remember or know what they did. So they go on with life while we stay trapped in that moment for the rest of ours. Unprocessed uh, pain, uh, Dr. Jim Wilder said this, I always love that quote, but unprocessed pain acts like trauma on the brain. And it grows. This is what you need to understand about it. We always think, oh, things are static, right? Like I can sit on the fence. No such thing as sitting on a fence. It's not how, you, how God made any of us. You don't sit on a fence. You're always growing towards something. Even the way your brain is hardwired. Everything you do by repetition, you get better at doing and it becomes easier to do it. The good things and the bad things. You're always growing. So if holding on to your hurts is something that you're going to start doing, you're going to get better at holding on those hurts. You're going to get so good at it, you're going to hold on to hurts that don't even exist. That's how it happens. It's a terrible thing. All right. It can affect our physical health as well as our mental health. This is the one where I actually learned a bunch of things this week, uh, which is why I provided the links. If you want to go and take a look at it, you can see what I was reading. Well, you can see some of what I was reading anyways. Um, people, so I'll start with a quote, and then we'll go on to the, the list. There's an enormous physical burden to being hurt and disappointed, says Dr. Karen Schwartz, director of the Mood Disorders Adult Cons uh, Consultation Clinic at the Johns Hopkins Hospital. Chronic anger puts you in a fight-or-flight mode, which results in numerous changes in heart rate, blood pressure, and immune response. Those changes then increase the risk of depression, heart disease, diabetes, among other conditions. Forgiveness, however, calms stress levels, leading to improved health. I read a really fascinating uh, line, I should have included it in here, but they said, no longer is it just religious institutions that are telling us to forgive. <laughs> I thought that was interesting. No longer is it just religious institutions telling us to forgive. That was always like, a, oh yeah, yeah, that's just a religious thing. Now they're realizing, oh, it's actually, if you want to have a better life, you need to learn how to forgive. People who hang on to grudges, however, this is another quote, are more likely to experience severe depression and post-traumatic stress disorder, as well as other conditions. So now I'm going to give you a list, and this is why I said don't bother writing this list down, because you'll just be trying to keep up, and I'm going to go too fast for you anyways. So just if you want to look at it, you can just download it online. It's the web version of, of this, today's message. It's always there. All right. These are the things that I found uh, doing a little bit of research, probably between five different articles, so uh, forgive me if I got some of the terms wrong or anything, but this is what they're finding now is linked to holding on to resentment, bitterness, and being, uh, and, and being offended. Uh, it can increase the risk of heart disease, pulmonary, or cause problems with breathing, uh, diabetes. I thought that was interesting how it can affect that. Um, I didn't study all of the, <laughs> the how it does it. Uh, increased decline as you age causes you to decline faster as you get older. Fascinating, isn't it? Digestion issues, uh, reproduction issues that can affect your immune system, longer time to heal wounds. That one I thought was interesting. And uh, that I read the study on, I, now I forget, I, I won't pretend like I remember. But anyways, they, they were using blisters to see how long blisters heals and found consistently that those that were holding on to uh, offense were, were healing at a slower rate. Weird? 
Uh, increased risk of PTSD, insecure attachment styles. Uh, that one there, I mean, I didn't learn this week. I've already done lots of study on that, but Dr. Terry Levy writes that forgiveness is one of seven key attributes for either having secure attachment or developing secure attachment later on in life. And that's secular again. So that's a long, you know, age-old secular science. And you'd say, well, what does attachment styles do? I don't have a lot of time to explain it, but they change the way you see God, yourself, others, and the world around you, how you interact with the world around you. How you engage with people, how you engage with, with uh, conflict, how you engage with everything. So it's, it's very... It's, it, it'll change a lot in your life. But anyhow, forgiveness is one of the keys. Anyways, keep moving forward because there's more increased cortisol, stress hormones, headaches, upset stomach, increased asthma uh, symptoms. And where did they... Other, some of my stuff disappeared. Well, I'll tell you what the other ones are. And they're in my notes. But it, uh, I lost... I had up to 18. That's okay. This is the increases asthma symptoms increased risk of suicide and suicidal thoughts, depression and anxiety, sleep and insomnia, and they said it's not an official diagnosis yet, but now they have, and this is coming out of a, a hospital in Montreal, they said they're calling it PTED, post-traumatic embitterment disorder, but they aren't yet using it as an official diagnosis. No longer just religious institutions that are saying bitterness is harmful to you. They're now agreeing across the board that bitterness is death to you physically, emotionally, and we've always already known spiritually. It is death. It was the compassion of Jesus that moved him to say, guys, you must forgive no matter what. No matter what. No matter how hard. Forgive. It's a compassionate command. He wasn't being strong because he didn't care. He's being strong precisely because he does care. It's at the root of, we'll move on to the next one here, it's at the root of addiction and many other harmful behaviors, and this is kind of, I know, a bit of repeat, but it's important that we get it. It's the, at the root of anger problems or outbursts, being emotionally shut down or withdrawn in relationships. That, again, I took from a study. Uh, cutting self-harm behaviors, suicidal thoughts, suicide, addictions, addictive behaviors, stuff like that. So these are all things that, that they're finding are coming out of, uh, coming out of, holding on to resentment. Devastating effects. It causes our love to grow cold. And here we'll go through a couple of quotes. This is probably the, one of the, you know, when we look at uh, being a Christian, I mean, we're created to, to know God and to make him known to the world around us. I, I'll end up come, preaching on this at, at some point yet because I, I just haven't had time yet. It'll probably be, maybe summer. Ezekiel. I want to go through Ezekiel with you guys. It is so good. There is so much goodness in there, and you're like, I thought it's full of like judgment and discipline and warnings. Yeah, it is. And you're going to get to see that the heart of God is loving and amazing, and it's been the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. But his heart always was, it was never just to, you know, to have Israel and hate everyone else. No, no, no. It was to use Israel to make himself known to the other nations to bring them into himself. Always. And he took it so seriously when they would fail to make him known to the world by showing a lack of love. That was like the biggest thing that he judges. Love, love growing cold is one of the worst things that we can see within the church. Because people don't see Jesus in us when, we, when our heart has gone cold. But let's take again a look at, I wanted to cover, we covered a lot from scripture last, last uh, in part two. I wanted to cover just a bit from what, you know, the medical sciences are catching up on uh, in the same area. And so I'll read some quotes here. This is coming from Dr. Kirsten from Rosh 
or Concordia University of Montreal. All right, she says, persistent bitterness may result in global feelings of anger and hostility that when strong enough could affect a person's physical health. She goes on to say, this means that even though you started out angry at one person or event, listen to this, the anger and resentment will grow strong enough through the years to be directed not only at the individual or the event, but at any other people around you. You seen that? It becomes so strong that now it's not even just, uh, it's not even aimed directly at that one person, which they also have done studies and shown how by holding on to it, you actually compound the feelings that are, that are next to whatever happened. So no matter how bad the event originally was, by holding on to it, it increasingly gets worse. Not better. Time does not heal. It gets worse until you process it. But if you leave it, it changes the way you look at others too. And if, yeah, oh yeah. And it doesn't matter if they've done you wrong. It doesn't even matter if they've done you wrong. Look at that. Holding on to that anger for a long time has, in essence, changed how you see others. And even a slight mishap can produce strong feelings of anger in you that are not warranted by the, by the event itself that set it off. Listen, church, do you want to be ruled by, by a past hurt for the rest of your life? Are you starting to see why Jesus said it as a compassionate command? In his compassion, he said, don't hold on to that hurt. It'll kill you. And he seems strong, kind of like a parent would if you, you know, a child picks up rat poison and is about to ingest it. You wouldn't sit there and reason about the emotional, yeah, you, want, you probably don't want to do that as they're starting to suck down rat poison. You'd be very strong on put that thing down now. It'll kill you. Not because you're harsh, but because you care. Matthew, and the many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. This is offend each other. This is already happening, but this is, by the way, Matthew, uh, is, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. Talk, they asked him, how will we know when the end of the age is coming? So this is Jesus talking to his core group of disciples, telling them what's going to happen in the end, how they're going to know that his return is imminent. And this is what he says. One of the key signs is people will be offending each other, and he's talking about those within the church. If you look at, at the context, many false prophets will arise and lead many people astray. They will deceive. Be, uh, people will be deceived. And because lawlessness is increased, the love of many will grow cold. Nothing cools our love faster than being offended. And Jesus said in John, by this all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Right? Love one another as I have loved you. This is not a feeling. I, we got to get that out of our head. Love is action. Sometimes we say love in action. No, no. Love is action. It's something you do. Feelings can ebb and flow. They do. But our love should be constant. It is something we do. And we get up and we do it again and again and again. And we root out anything in our lives that would snuff out that love. Because we recognize it is the very lamp of God in us to win a dying world around us. That will end up in an eternity away from him in a place called hell if they don't accept him as their Lord and Savior. You want something to add on your checklist? Some of us like checklists. 
right? I'm not saying that as a negative thing. It's not all bad. You checklisty people. What, is, what makes me spiritually mature? I got to pray more. I got to get in the Bible more. Yeah, do those things. Why? Because they'll help you know God more. That's ultimately the goal. It's not just those things. Yeah, pursue God with your whole life, at work, in your quiet time, with your hobbies, in the Word, in prayer. Yes, you get to know Him. Absolutely, yes. But you want to know when, like, are those the things that make you spiritually mature? How many hours did you volunteer? How many hours did I spend in the Bible? No, Jesus is very clear. You want to see spiritual maturity? Watch someone love. That's how you know. And don't just see how they love their best friend when they're all on the same page. <laughs> Watch them forgive. See if they turn the other cheek. Watch them return blessing for insult. That's how you see maturity. All right. We think we're protecting ourselves. We think we're protecting ourselves from getting hurt by holding on to the offense. This is one of the reasons why it seems impossible. But in reality, we're just hurting ourselves further and killing our testimony. That's the reality. That's the truth of what it does. We're just hurting ourselves further. That's what we do when we choose to hold on to that. Hebrews 12 says this, Strive for peace with everyone. <laughs> what a wonderful command. And for holiness without which, by the way, strive. We're supposed to strive. We're supposed to do. We're supposed to work towards peace with everyone. We're supposed to work for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Obviously, we can't earn our salvation. That's a free gift from God. But then as a response, we're supposed to work to become like him but, and allow his spirit to work through us. And then it says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Many become defiled. Look at how he roots out that one in all of this list here, right? I mean, he's just kind of covering generalities here, right? But bitterness comes in here. He highlights it. See that no root of bitterness comes up. By it, many are defiled. All right. Now we'll move a little quicker here. Number six, it sets us up for further deception, bondage, struggles. More pain. That's the thing. In the above list, you can see more pain. Physical, emotional, spiritual, death. So I said, what, the enemy comes, it says in John 10, to steal, kill, and destroy. And what we said in part one is, I mean, his main tool is deception. It is. But his main deception is, is offending Christians, is what he's trying to do. Because it's so effective at stealing, killing, and destroying. It literally hits you at every level. Revelation 16, I was reading this uh, yesterday in my devotions, and... Uh, and it struck out to me when I was going through the bold judgments. I don't have time to go through it all. But what struck out to me uh, is, is this here. They cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. You know what's interesting? We always think the worst thing would happen would be that someone doesn't believe. But you know that's not, it's not unbelief that's the main fruit of those who are rebelling against God in the end. It's not, it's not unbelief. It's rage. What, is that, what does that pour out of? A heart that's offended. They're not... They're not not believing in God. They're mad at him. That was the main fruit. It repeats it multiple times. The main fruit, their response to God. It wasn't unbelief. It was rage. They're mad. They're offended. Why do you think Jesus says to his disciples, and that, remember when he says, eat my flesh and drink my blood, and everyone goes away? And they come to him, and they're like, oh, Lord, why did you say that? That's so weird. And his response, are you too going to be offended? Are you too going to be offended? 
Peter says, where else would we go? You have the words of life. It's the right response. All right, benefits of forgiveness. Let's rip through these pretty quick. When we forgive, we receive forgiveness, Matthew 6. We heal from past hurts. How about that for what you're going through, for compassion? Do you want to heal? This is the way. Begin to find freedom from addiction. That's a process. And all of these, by the way, you might say, I've done this once before. This might be a process. If you've been, you know, stuck in this for 30 years, and some of you have been, it might take more than one prayer. I actually think because it's so big, I think all of us are going to be working on working out being offended and growing in love for our entire lives. We'd probably all be better off if we just accepted that and said, I'm going to keep working on this every day of my life. I'm not letting my love being stamped out. My light's not going under a basket because someone else hurt me some time ago in the past. Anyways. Better relationships. Think about marriage. Think about kids. Parenting. Think about with your coworkers, with friends. Less anxiety and depression. Not, it doesn't remove it all. But less anxiety. Stronger immune system. Improved heart health. <laughs> that was an interesting one I found. Uh, improved self-esteem. We like benefits. But what about these two? When you forgive, you free the prisoner yourself. That's who gets freed. But they don't deserve my forgiveness, the person who hurt me. It's not even about them. You holding on to a grudge doesn't do anything to them anyways. And ultimately, when you think about what Jesus has done for you and the free gift that he gives, look at number two, we model the love of Christ. Those who've been forgiven much, love much. Those who've been forgiven, love little. What do you want to model? Like, is it really worth? I mean, Jesus forgave you from this much? Is it really worth, no matter how bad it is, holding on to it for something that's this much in comparison? I like that. The foundation of our salvation is forgiveness of sins. It's a free gift from God. You know what I love about that? When you forgive every single time, you know, we talk about, I'm made to, to know God and make him known to the world. Right? I just said that a few minutes ago. Love that. I love that line. I read it somewhere and I've, I've stolen it. Right? It's a guiding principle. Because <laughs> it's so good. Amen? I'm made to know God and to make him known to others. I love it. However, we look at, so how do I make him known to others? What can I do? What can I do? Right now, if you're looking at just one little redemptive piece of the pain that you have in your heart, if you're willing to forgive... You can model, you have a chance right now to show the world the most precious part of the love that he has for us and that he will forgive us our sins and pardon us for free. Every time you forgive, you model that. And you know what? That testifies to creation, whether someone's there in front of you or not, of who Jesus is, and it makes him known on the earth. There is reward in that. I am convinced there is big reward in that for those that are willing to step into the waters and obey. All right. I don't even know where I am. Oh, I found it. There we go. Walking in radical love and forgiveness. Be unoffendable. But remember, we define this now. Not be hard. Not be closed. Be open. Allow God to work in you. You're going to need it. I'm needing it. And then choose to show love and compassion and grace without the debt being paid. 
That's what we're doing, right? What is forgiveness? Jesus gave that example of the debt being paid, right? They're owed, you're owed a debt when someone hurts you. You're owed a debt. Right? They, they took something from you. They did something to you, and that's real. When you forgive, you have to know what it is. You are canceling the debt. But don't you want that debt canceled for them? Don't you want to model what Jesus is like and then maybe they will find their debt canceled in his, in his presence too? Don't you want that for them? Or have our hearts become that calloused already that we don't want that for our brothers and sisters who've hurt us? Okay, recognize the tree by the fruit. That's what Jesus said, didn't he? So you know what the cool thing about a fruit is? Well, he says that... Uh, these false prophets will come and they'll lead people astray. That's in Matthew 24. But uh, before that, in the Gospels, he talks about, you know, sheep or, or wolves in sheep's clothing that are inwardly ravenous wolves. And you recognize them by the fruit. Not what they say, but by what they do. That's very, very key. Right? The devil used Bible verses too. So we can say, oh yeah, I love everybody and I forgive everybody. But be deceiving ourselves and those around us. So how do we know? What's the fruit? Oh, I'll go over that. Defensiveness is one. By the way, if you see any of these in your own life, well, probably all of us in here will see something, okay? I'm not, this is not an accusation. This is an invitation to allow the Holy Spirit and maybe a trusted friend and a mentor later on to challenge you in your life to, so that you can walk through forgiving whoever needs to be forgiven, amen? That's all it is. It's an invitation, not an accusation. I'd never do that. If I'm going to accuse anyone, it's going to start with myself. I've got to work on this all the time. Defensiveness, avoidant behavior. Angry outbursts or being emotionally shut down. You see the dichotomy there? They're different. One is to protect themselves. Both are actually to protect themselves. One is like, I'm going to hold it all inside. I'm not going to let you in. You're never going to hurt me again. And the other is, I'm going to make sure you never hurt me again. Don't be triggered. Right? See the difference? Both come from holding on to resentment. Both. Okay. Uh, addiction. Wishing harm on yourself or others. You ever had it where you're you know, you're just thinking about someone's success and you're hoping that it doesn't happen. Oh, come on, if you're, if you're not thinking about it, think about what happened this last two years. When you're hurt, does someone's success, does it bother you? Does it threaten you? Maybe I'm not wishing them to die, but if they start doing well, then I'm like, oh, I feel terrible on the inside because inwardly I'm trying to like from a distance watch them burn a little bit and feel what they did to me. I know I'm hitting some heartstrings. I'm hitting my own. I'm still working through it. People avoiding you or, or you avoiding them. Oh, sorry, I cut off some of the words. <laughs> you ever do that? See someone, whoop, that's the other way. Why would that be? Could be a good reason. I'm just saying check your heart. Um, telling everyone what happened. So you've got to tell your story to everyone and not the people that are helping you move forward, but telling everyone so that they can see it from your point of view and see how wronged you were. Right? Assure yourself that it's okay to stay where you are. Maybe you're just replaying the event in your mind. This is probably the one, number nine, that gets me the most because I'm pretty good at not letting you guys see if there's something hurting. If, I, you know, if I'm processing something and it's fresh, I can put on the good talk especially from up here. It's that one, number nine, that haunts me. 
That's where the Lord gets me. And it says, you just keep replaying that thing over and over again. That conversation is going through your mind again and again and again. That email you read, it's just replaying over and over and over. Then I go to the table and I bring that to him and I say, Lord, I can't get rid of this on my own. It's too much. There's too many things going on in life. It's like a full-time job to process hurts that you encounter just by living in this world. That's why we need to spend time with him and let him work in our hearts. Moving on, irritability. I've never gotten like that, right, Lou? (laughs) Mind reading, judging motives, assuming the worst in people, negative self-talk, avoiding your relationship with God. And maybe you're just sitting here and you know you're hurt, treated shamefully, and you just feel trapped. You know it all. You don't need the other fruits. You just know it. But that list that I'm giving you, what you need to do is ask Jesus to examine your heart. Do it. Ask him to examine your heart. Let him go through it. But then also talk to a friend. But not the kind of friend that that sits with you and cheers you on all the time. And you know what I mean? So-and-so said this to me. Not the kind of friend that says, that jerk. But the kind of friend that says, that must have hurt Can we bring that to the Lord together? That's a real friend. But then you can also talk to a pastor or a counselor. If some of the things you've gone through are big, you might need to go and see a therapist. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Work on it. Don't let it sit. It'll kill you spiritually, emotionally, and physically. It will kill you. Confront the lies. There we go, yeah. Forgiving means saying what happened is okay. False. Does not mean that. Forgiving and trusting are the same thing. False. It's not true. Forgiveness means letting the person continue to hurt you. False. It does not necessarily mean that. Matthew 18 actually gives you a great example. I wish I had time to go through it. Um, of, of someone who continues to hurt and is unrepentant and involves witnesses in the church and how you can finally cut off relationship with someone. You're not holding on to, to bitterness. But there is a place for cutting off relationship. Forgiveness means I must face the pain inside and cancel the debt owed me. True. True. You might say, I don't want to do it for them. They don't deserve that from me. They don't deserve it from anybody, what they did. So don't do it for them. Don't even do it for for yourself. Would you do it for your king? Would you do it for him? If that's what he's asking you, he's saying, I love you and I don't want you to stay hurt. I don't want you to stay trapped. I want to use you to display my glory to those around, give you purpose and meaning. The same king who turned the other cheek and allowed himself to be nailed to a cross for your sins. Would you do it for him?
going to go through the steps. I don't have time to lead you through it, but I'm going to go through the steps here. And coming up, whether it's next week or prayer or something, we'll see where we're going to do this together. Because I want to walk, I want to walk all of us through it together. And we can cry together and pray together and pray for each other. But for today, I'm going to give you the steps. You can start on it in your own. If it's something really big, you can start with the steps. But don't, don't sit there too long. If you need help, get help. You have community around you that can help you with a friend that will pray with you. Pastor, cell leader, counselor, mentor. These are the steps. First, accept what happened to you. Stop replaying it in your head and replaying what they did and, and how bad they are. Accept it. This is what happened to me. I experienced this. This is how it made me, I felt, I felt so small and insignificant. And then what do you feel about yourself because of that? I feel like I'm nothing. I feel like my life doesn't matter. So you start with accepting it. This is, if you're gonna forgive from the heart, you have to acknowledge how the heart feels. So you accept. Now you choose. It is a choice. You're like, that's impossible. I've tried this before. I'm not saying. Now you choose, and you're going to feel good for the rest of your life and never struggle. I've already said, let's just agree together that we're going to be fighting being offended for the rest of our lives. It is the devil's main strategy, and he's not going to stop because of a message series. So you choose. You choose to forgive, and you choose to confess. That's the start. You accept. You choose. And you choose seven times 70 times and then you pray. You pray for the one who offended you. You pray for yourself. You might be the one that you need to forgive. You pray to God and be honest. Oh, I can't wait to talk to you guys. I want to talk about prayer too. We don't have time right now, but you know what the, the, the wrong, some of you are like, I don't know how to pray. I'll tell you what the wrong prayer is. Silence. That's the wrong prayer. Everything else is on the way to right prayer. Be honest. Read the Psalms. Read David. Look how he prayed. He was honest. He complained. He said some things that I've never said in my prayers. I'm like, whoa, some things you asked for are pretty out there. But he was honest. And then he worshipped. And he loved God. And, and look at God's response. And David, I have found a man after my own heart. He's honest. So be honest with the Lord in prayer too. If you think he wasn't there for you, tell him that's how you feel. And then ask him to show you where he was. be honest. Perspective. How does Jesus see you? How does Jesus see the person that hurt you? What does he want you to know about it? Then you can do another one. Is, is, so try to imagine how does Jesus see that person? What does he see when he looks at them? Does he, when he died for you, did he also die for them? Do you think when, his, when tears and blood were mixing, rolling down his face, that he saw your face and theirs? And then remember, love is action. Not love in action. Love is action. We're appropriate. I know sometimes it's not appropriate. We don't have time for that in this service. I just want to pray for you. Do good to those who hurt you. Pray for them. Do good. Whenever possible, do good. And you're like, okay, I was abused. It's, you know, I've heard stories and then it's like, I was abused as a kid and my dad hasn't changed and now I have kids and now you're saying I should probably leave my kids there to be babysat. No, I'm not saying that. I'm not, I'm not saying that is the thing you have to do, but do something else. Can you shovel their driveway this winter? Can you drop off an encouraging note, even if it's not signed by you? 
I don't know. All I'm trying to say is there's often more things we can do to love than we realize if we would just sit there prayerfully and be creative. How can I demonstrate love? It's not about them seeing you do it so you can show them how good you are and how bad they are. That doesn't matter. God will worry about that. It's about you loving them, freeing yourself, following Jesus in, in obedience, and modeling what he is like to the world. Let me pray for you to close the service. All right, I need help on this one too, so I'm doing this from my knees. You want to join me in holding your hands out if you're at home, you can do this too. Lord, I can't see every heart in here. I can't. You can. Lord, some of us have been hurt so badly in the formative years. We've put up such big walls. They're so tall, we can't even see over it. We're listening to this message and it feels like something's kind of sort of landing, but but we can't even see it in ourselves because we've been protecting ourselves for so long. But we know something is wrong because we know that we're shut off inside. We're shut off, we don't, we don't feel, we're not able to relate to people, we're not able to enter into the worlds. There is something that's keeping us from being able to love and receive love. Lord, and others are sitting in here, and we, we struggle with angry outbursts. It just, it flies out of the mouth. It's so strong, we just can't control it. Maybe there's shame involved, or anxiety and depression is just continuing to grow, and this self-hatred inside, and we, we're just torn inside. And now, Lord, we see the command to forgive, and we're getting it, but it's so impossible. We feel like we're standing at the Grand Canyon right now, and you're asking us to just jump across. So today, Lord, we just ask that you would help us accept the things done to us. And today we choose to forgive. We choose to forgive ourselves for our failures. We choose to forgive those who've hurt us the way you have forgiven us. And Lord, if we have held offense towards you, oh Lord, we lay that down and confess it as sin. We don't want to be offended at you. We don't want to be offended and have our hearts grow cold. We ask that you would meet us in our hurts, that you would walk us out the jail cell of bitterness and resentment and offense, that you would walk us into freedom, into love into knowing you more. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you for joining us online. God bless you. We're not doing a, a final song. I went over time. Have a wonderful Sunday. We'll see you next week.